Welcome to the Bridgeway Church Podcast. My name is David Bowden, and every week I sit down with one or several members of our church staff and host a conversation about how Bridgeway is seeking to fulfill its mission as the Church of Jesus Christ here in our city. If you are a member of Bridgeway, we hope this helps you more deeply engage with what God is doing in our midst. And if you aren't a part of Bridgeway, we hope you feel welcome and that our discussions may lead to more Christ-glorifying ministry in your own context. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to our fifth and final week working through how the gospel shapes our core values here at Bridgeway. We've uh, talked about uh, gospel love, we've talked about uh, worship, honor, courageous faith, and now we get to end by talking about uh, gospel joy. And uh, to wrap this up, we we brought in our resident Christian hedonist, <laughs> Sam Storms, to come and, and talk to us about joy. So Sam, we're, we're glad you're back to join us on this conversation. Well, it's good. Maybe uh, we just ought to stop right there. <laughs> oh no, and, I've already I've already stepped in it. And, no, <laughs> and uh, define Christian hedonism. Great, let's do that. Because uh, a lot of people are saying that's that's like fried snow, isn't it? That's contradiction fried in terms. Snow. <laughs> like that. Well, well, seriously, yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, that, hedonism is that's uh, what drives our society. It's what's killing us. This this uh, relentless pursuit of pleasure as an end in itself. And, and you're right. That's why we're Christian hedonists because. Mm-hmm. The, the pleasure and the joy that we think we must pursue is pleasure in God and all right. that he is for us in Jesus. So uh, we don't believe uh, pleasure or joy is somehow um, directionless or is up to you. It is pleasure and joy and delight in God. So we are Christian hedonists and not just hedonists. Mm. So I want to make sure people know that. So uh, let me ask a question then, because we're talking about the, the word joy. So um, we're already kind of mixing terms a bit to talk about hedonism is has pleasure as its base, maybe like. Mm-hmm. And so what's the link between pleasure and joy? And is that an appropriate link for a Christian to make? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, again, come back to the, the most basic foundational reality about human behavior okay. is that we make our decisions based on what we are convinced will bring us the greatest pleasure or delight or satisfaction in the immediate moment. That's mm-hmm. how we. That's how we live. Right. Uh, and it leads to some really bad decisions right. because we're misguided. We're we're deluded about what is going to to bring us the greatest pleasure. So, uh, I, I I think of a. I give you a story I remember from Larry Crabb. A lot of our listeners will may or may not know who Larry is. He's a author and a counselor, and Larry said he had a. Um, a young man came into his office one day and he sat down and he said, all right, I want to have the most immediate maximum pleasure that I can get right now. And Larry looked at him. He said, all right, that, that's a, easy to handle. He said, uh, go buy yourself a case of your be- most favorite whiskey and go to the Bahamas and find as many willing women as you can. And the guy looked at him. He said, <laughs> I thought you were a Christian counselor. He said, well, I am, but you didn't ask a Christian question. You wanted to know what can bring you the greatest delight and happiness right now, and that's the answer. But the fact is, if you follow that advice, it will ultimately do damage to your soul. It will destroy Mm. you. It will deprive you of the opportunity to experience lasting, deep, durable delight. Yeah. Uh, And 
So yeah, I can't help but think I was, I, I, Psalm four was in my meditation this morning. And so I can't, can't help but think about how he said, you give me more joy than, than they have when their grain and wine abound. Yep. And so it's like, then when they have their favorite whiskey in the Caribbean with all the women, right. I have more joy than that, even though I don't have those things. Exactly. And so there is this Christian tension with there's a deeper, truer, more lasting joy that the Bible's and, holding out to us. And honestly, if, uh, if somebody asked me, maybe I'm being, I don't want to be reductionistic here, but if somebody said, Sam, reduce in one statement as best you can what the purpose of of you being a pastor is mm. and what the purpose of any sermon you preach is. Yeah. And I think if I had to reduce it to one, it would be this. It is, I am here to do the best I can in the power of the Holy Spirit on the authority of his word to persuade people that their greatest joy is not in living for self and in sin, but in living for God and to show them the beauty of God in such a way in all of its manifest complexities to persuade them that that is better for them, that is more satisfying for them now and forever than alcohol, drugs, illicit sex, uh, selfish ambition, what money can buy. Mm -hmm. That's really what that's really what my my task is is to say there's more joy. Yeah. There's more joy in um, living the life that God has uh, outlined for you in Scripture than in anything else you can do, and. I can only say that I can't make it happen. That's why I'm so dependent on the Holy Spirit. He has right. to awaken their hearts and their minds to that truth. Right. Okay. So then, um, what what is what is joy? Then we we've kind of talked about pleasure uh, uh, in like what will bring us the most joy. We haven't really unpacked what the is joy an emotion? Is it a state of mind? Is it a sense of tranquility? Like what is what is joy? And then how do, how should we understand Christian joy as opposed to how the world understands joy. Yeah, that's a that's a tough question. Uh, defining joy, <laughs> yeah. because it's almost like that you know that old saying. I, I suppose it really happened. Some Supreme Court justice many years ago was asked, "Can you define pornography?" And he says, "No, but I, I know it when I see it. I know it when I see right. it." Right. And I think most people are right now would say, "I don't know that you know I can use synonyms for joy like delight." Mm maybe even happiness, satisfaction, as you said, inner tranquility, um, a sense of well-being, whatever it is. But uh, they say, I know it when I feel it. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's almost one of those. So I would, um, I would probably define it in terms of uh, experiencing um, in, in the depths of my soul a sense of rightness and well-being and satisfaction. In other words, it's almost like it's an energy that um, that when I look at competing pleasures and offers of pleasure out there, they don't have they have they have no allure because I found in this joy in Jesus something that trumps anything else. Mm. It ruins me for anything else. Um, so you know the Bible talks about, um, you know, Psalm 1611, in your presence is fullness of joy. Mm -hmm. And then he kind of in a parallel statement, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So there is an element of pleasure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem, obviously, is that our, is what brings us pleasure, has our capacity to feel that and recognize it has been warped by sin. Right. So I know a lot of things that could bring me um 
pleasure right now um, that would be illicit and wrong for me to pursue. They could, they could physiologically and even emotionally and psychologically bring delight to my life for the moment. But, that's, but the Bible says, you know, joy, I guess what I'm getting at is joy is, uh, is maybe pretty much the same for everybody. The question is, what is the object of it? Hmm. What is the ground of it? What is the focus of it? What is it that is bringing delight to your soul? Mm-hmm. Is it uh, a physical sensation? Is it a knowledge and an awareness of the beauty of God and his manifold perfections made known to your mind? Uh, so it's really not so much how do we define joy, but in what? Right. So, so you're saying it? the difference in how, like, there's a difference in joy between the world and the Christian is not necessarily the correct dichotomy to draw. It's instead... Um, joy in what? Exactly. Okay, that's yeah. helpful. So, you know, Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself mm-hmm. in the Lord. He doesn't just say delight yourself, period. Right. That would be hedonism. Yep. Secular, worldly, fleshly, carnal hedonism. He said delight yourself in the Lord. Find in God, in who he is, in the revelation of himself and your relationship with him. Uh, find delight in that. So, yeah, that would be, I think, the key is the focus, the object, the ground of our joy and delight. Um, I don't. I honestly don't think that if we were sitting at a table here with a uh, a handful of uh, real secular hedonists, maybe mm-hmm. atheists, uh, self indulgent folk, um, who basically have made a god of their own desires, I don't think we would have to debate long on what joy is. You're probably right. Yeah. Uh, I think we would all kind of nod our heads and say, yeah, "I know what I know what it is." And th- but then they would say, "And here's how I get it." Right. And we say, "No, no, no, no. That's not how you get it." Here's how we get it. Here's how God made us to get it. Mm-hmm. It's in getting God. Yeah. Uh, it, it is interesting, though. The Bible doesn't shy away from uh, physical pleasure, as uh, and it doesn't demonize those things. Right. Right? Uh, it's like the Old Testament feasts. You know, it's like, you know, when you when you bring your tithe, come and buy your favorite food and wine and have a party outside the temple. And it's like, wait, what? That doesn't sound very Christian. Uh but and but so so like maybe help me understand the idea of uh, of finding joy in the good things in God's gifts versus a deeper joy that is in God Himself because I think those are those are two are, the, are those two sides of the same coin or those are those varying degrees of joy like am I allowed to have joy in a really good meal but I need to understand it's not as joyful as I'll have yeah. in God like help me out there. Uh, as you've come to expect, David, I'm going to quote scripture. What? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> believe it or not. First Timothy 6, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Mm. So that, that's, that's amazing. He, he's saying, um, don't set your hope for joy on the uncertainty of wealth and what it can buy, but set it on God. So there's the difference in focus, the difference in grounding. Mm-hmm. But this God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So hmm. God wants me to enjoy a good steak, medium rare. Oh, yes. Uh, God wants me to enjoy uh, the intricacies and the fascination of baseball, which I love. Uh, God wants me to enjoy the beauty of a sunset, but I cannot... I can't let my joy and delight terminate there. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, C.S. Lewis talked about everything being a kind of a beam uh, 
of light that directs us beyond itself to the one from whom it comes. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's a big struggle, by the way, is how do I enjoy everything God has given without turning it into an idol? Mm. How do I how do I en- enjoy these things as a way of leading me to the giver and not just the gift that he's provided? That's the real challenge we face. So, um, yeah. So getting back to your question, that's kind of a roundabout way. The Bible does talk about physical joys. Mm-hmm. God has, we are physical creatures. There are things that, um, you know, the, the joys of sexual intimacy and marriage. Mm-hmm. And God says, look, I love sex. I created it. But I cre- But the optimum way in which you can enjoy it is in relationship with one man or one woman in a, in a lifelong marriage. And yet if we've taken, no, 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 I, I, want, I just want to enjoy the physical sensation however I can stimulate it or provoke it with whomever is willing. Mm-hmm. And God says, no, ultimately in the long run, that will destroy you. You will not experience it in the way that I've designed. Um, I, you know, here's a controversial one, I think. You know, one of the, I can't remember, is it Psalm 104? God has given us wine to mm-hmm. gladden the heart of man. Right. Well, th- that's a good gift. But what happens when somebody drinks too much? They mm-hmm. they pervert the joy that God has designed us to experience. Right. Um, or even nature. I, we walk out of here. We sit down. We look at the beauty of a sunset or a sunrise or some other um, marvelous display of the physical creation, standing at the, at, at the base of the Grand Canyon with our mouths wide open, that's good. God said, I want you to look at the things I've made and be fascinated by them. But then if we deify nature, mm-hmm. if we infuse those physical uh, phenomena with somehow uh, divine properties, we end up worshiping them rather than the God who made them. Mm-hmm. So... I think that's kind of the, the key to differentiating the joy of um, the unbelieving heart and mind with the joy of someone who's come to know God in Christ. Okay, that's really helpful. Uh, there's one more question I want to ask before we we lean into how does the gospel shape joy and how, do the joy, how does joy and gospel go together. Uh, the last one I want to, and this might be a quick answer, I don't know, uh, but the, the, the Christian platitude that quickly pops into my mind when I'm asking for a definition of joy or how to understand it is a lot of people say that well joy isn't necessarily happiness it's like it, it's 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 it sticks around it's like happiness that doesn't leave and like they always want to dichotomize i always hear that like well happiness is fleeting but joy stays forever is kind of the the platitude i often hear thrown around in christian circles with with joy so how would you respond to to that idea that joy and happiness aren't the same thing well yeah I understand that, and I and I know the distinction, and I and I recognize the validity in it to some extent. Um, and I think the difference is what I just articulated. Uh, people identify happiness with whatever in the in the immediate moment, the present, can bring me uh, a sense of well-being and satisfaction or physiological um, uh, delight, um, but that can be taken away from me. I, I can be paralyzed in a car wreck and have no physical sensation mm-hmm. below the neck, or um, I can uh, overdo and, and misuse some physical stimulant and it does ultimate destruct. Like, you know, I drink to excess and, you know, experience cirrhosis of the liver and eventually die in a painful manner. Um, 
So happiness, I think what we have tended to do is to link it with physical phenomena that are fleeting, mm -hmm. um, like money. Right. Um, and, and, and joy, I've, always, I've talked about joy being a deep, durable delight in God um, that enables us, uh, in spite of physical hardship, uh, to flourish and, and to find, uh, you know, the, the great satisfaction and soul that we always long for. Now, having said all that, I'm not as opposed to the use of the word happiness as some. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I think the Bible actually talks a little bit about it. I love the, there was a title um, to, uh, to a sermon that Jonathan Edwards preached called Nothing Upon Earth Can Represent the Glories of Heaven. And he said this in a sermon. This is a statement. Quote, God created man for nothing else but happiness. He created him only that he might communicate happiness to him. Hmm. So Edwards is using happiness there in the way that we would use joy. And he says, this is why God created you, to be happy. But we can't stop there. Because hmm. Edwards then goes on to say, well, happy in what? For what reason? By mm -hmm. what means? And Edwards say it's happy in knowing God and being known by God. So... Maybe we have to maintain the difference that God didn't create me for the happiness that comes merely from having a, you know, a four-bedroom house and a three-car garage and a new laptop and nice clothes and plenty of money in the bank. Although those are some of the good gifts he's given that we can legitimately enjoy, he's created me for something that transcends those physical realities, um, namely himself. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean those physical realities are inherently bad. Right. Right. So, yeah, I don't know if I'm beating around the bush on this. No, or, I don't uh, think so. I think I think a lot of, I mean, I think it's two different things. One, I think that when we think about, when, when a lot of people think about, God made me to be happy, uh, a lot of people can quickly run into a health and wealth yeah. situation where it's, well, if you're suffering, you're doing something wrong, <laughs> right? Right. That's and, why we have to, we can't stop God made me to be happy, period. Right. Yep. We have to say happy in what, mm -hmm. in whom? Right. Um, for what reason? We, we, we have to always push the, the question beyond merely a declaration and, and, and ask some very important questions. Right. And, and then one thing just popped in my head was, was this idea of like we said the, the challenge is when we're enjoying the good gifts of God to not turn them into idols. Exactly. Um, which is probably what the health and wealth camp would, would, would probably fall into, that the things terminate there often. Um, but one of the th one of the things that I, I often think about when it comes to um, enjoying the, the gifts of God is, man, if this medium rare steak is good, by how many varying degrees is God better? You know, exactly. like like what are there any other ways that you have found helpful um, in meditating on God's goodness as you're enjoying things that maybe our listeners could be like, oh man, I can leapfrog from this good gift that God's given me to enjoy into worship whether in a restaurant or on the beach or looking at a sunset, but maybe the varying degrees thing is helpful for me. I don't know if there's any other just practical things that have been helpful for you through the years. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, let me, I, you know, I, we can do this because we're running the podcast. Right? <laughs> that's right. Uh, I want to recommend a book. Yes. The best book I think I've ever read to answer that question is by Joe Rigney. It's called The Things of Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that's taken from the hymn, you know, turn your eyes on Jesus, uh, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. <clears throat> Joe believes that. Mm -hmm. He believes that comparatively, 
gazing on the, on the face of Jesus is immeasurably and infinitely better. But that doesn't mean that the things of earth are to be despised, the things that God has approved of. Um, and so as long as we can know what they are, there's, there are some things on this earth that uh, I need to avoid. And I know what ones they are, either from common sense or most clearly from Scripture. God tells me, you know, he says, flee fornication. Mm-hmm. Well, he's not saying flee sex. Right. He's saying flee illicit sex outside of marriage. So um, Joe does a great job in this book. I strongly encourage people to get it. The Things of Earth, published by Crossway, Joe Rigney, R-I-G-N-E-Y. We'll put a, we'll put a link to it in the, yeah. in the description. Yep. Yeah, and he talks about... How, how can I enjoy um, uh, vanilla ice cream with strawberries in the presence of, uh, of good friends? Um, how can I enjoy wrestling with my kids mm-hmm. without my w- ultimate well-being becoming dependent on that? Right. Because uh, what happens if I fall into such poverty that I can't afford ice cream and strawberries or my child suffers from a debilitating handicap of some sort. Um, and so, again, it's that question of how do we enjoy all good things that God has given us without it replacing God himself? Mm-hmm. How can we enjoy them in such a way that they ultimately direct us back to the one from whom they have come? Yeah. That's well, that's good. That's a tough, that's a it tough is. issue. Because all, honestly, that, we all wrestle with that because, you know, we talk here, as we have and are in this podcast about God being the focus, God being the, the ultimate uh, ground and object of our joy. And, and then we start feeling guilty for enjoying anything else. Mm. It's like, well, gosh, if you say it that way, so I, I can't enjoy, you know, sitting around with my friends, having a cup of coffee and just talking about the, you know, the basketball game last night on TV or, right. or, or whatever it is. And so we haven't learned how, and it's a very difficult, it's part of Christian growth and maturity, how to enjoy all things that God has given us without somehow those things supplanting God in, in the uh, ultimate focus of our heart. That's mm-hmm. tough. That's difficult. Well, good. Well we'll, well, we'll, like I said, we'll link to things of earth in the, in the description. So if people are still scratching their heads after this, you can go grab it. Yeah, it's a great book. I've read it as well. And yeah, amazing, amazing stuff that he's got in there. Um, let's, let's turn the ship. We're talking about joy. I think we've laid a, a very good groundwork here to at least know what we're aiming at and talking about. Um, but we're talking about how does the gospel um, shape our core value of joy. Um, so what, what's the link between Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection and what it buys for us uh, in, in our relationship with God and, and earns for us? Uh, what, how does that link joy and enjoying the things of earth and enjoying God? Um, that might be a harder jump to make than maybe it was to in the love episode we did a few weeks back. Yeah. yeah. Um, let, me, let me approach that this way. All Christians will agree with this statement that we have been called and created and redeemed by the blood of Christ to glorify God. Mm-hmm. I, I think all Christians will say, yeah, yeah, ultimately that, that's the reason. That's the ultimate goal of our salvation. But then we're going to really have a divide when I say, how do you do that? Mm. What is the best means by which God is glorified in and through us? How is he most honored as God? How is it um, 
through what mechanism in our life um, is God put on display as the supremely beautiful and most wonderful being in the entire universe. Then you get a wide variety of opinions. Some say obedience, right? You know, obeying the law, um, um, fearing God, um, all of these things uh, that, that people think is the way to glorify him. And I will come back to the Westminster Catechism mm -hmm. and the slight tweak that John Piper made to it. Uh, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Right. Um, John puts it in that very famous statement, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And that, that word satisfied there is basically a synonym for having joy in him. Mm -hmm. So I think that... Um, you know, you're talking about how does the gospel relate to joy? Mm -hmm. Well, the gospel is the means by which God has enabled us to experience the joy that magnifies and glorifies him to the highest degree. Mm -hmm. that, that sounds awfully ethereal. And abstract. Uh, <laughs> and well, there are yeah. people out there listening saying, what? Well, I was immediately reminded <laughs> of Psalm 16 again, yeah. like, where it's like, uh, in your presence is fullness of joy, yep. right? What did the gospel do? It, it brought us into God's presence. Yep. Like it, it it brought us real, true, full, pleasurable joy yep. because it brings us God himself. Uh, I, I knew this question was going to come up, so yep. I brought in a quote from Jonathan Edwards. Okay. And I'm always this guy never that. This guy never talks about joy, though. Yeah. So <laughs> Here's how he put it. And again, you got to remember this is Puritan prose, so right. I'll, try to, I'll, I'll try to clean it up. God is glorified not only by his glory being seen, but by its being rejoiced in. Mm -hmm. Stop right there. Mm -hmm. um, so think about it. Just seeing God's glory isn't enough. There has to be a response evoked and awakened in the heart of, of man, and namely by seeing it and going, wow, yeah. oh, Oh my, and you're just, you're left uh, speechless. He continues, when those that see it delight in it, God is more glorified than if they only see it. God made the world that he might communicate and the creature, that's us, receive his glory both with the mind and the heart. He that testifies having an idea of God's glory doesn't glorify God so much as he that testifies also his approbation of it, that is his heartfelt commendation or praise of it, and his delight in it. So Edward's point is this. You have an idea in your mind of who God is. You see it in Scripture. You look at his power in creation. You feel the, the, the impulse in your own conscience and soul. That in and of itself doesn't glorify God. Mm. What glorifies him is when you take immeasurable and preeminent delight in it and um yeah i i just i my mind just goes back to uh, romans 11 uh verses 33 through 36 and i just use this as one example of what i'm talking about um you know here in in the first 11 chapters of romans paul has been portraying this this remarkable uh display of god's glory revelation in christ justifying the ungodly through faith mm -hmm. And God's sovereignty and His providence, and then how does Paul respond? The opening verse of verse thirty, uh, word of verse thirty-three. Oh, and and you need the people. You need to open your Bibles and look at that because I'm not making that up. That's in the Greek text. It's yep. a particle of exclamation. It's like Paul goes, 
oh my <laughs> yeah. oh and, and you say what that that's not an o of pain right <laughs> it's an o of i'm overwhelmed i i, I there I, I feel such delight such such rightness in my soul in seeing the revelation of God in Jesus. And that's what we mean by joy. I mean, mm-hmm. I, um, I preached, a, believe it or not, I preached a series of three messages on that one word, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I, I, I finally, I, I was struggling, so I pulled out the thesaurus and I looked up synonyms to try to give meaning to that and depth to it. And... Um, this is what the gospel is designed to do, is to bring me and all of us into that, inexpre- what Peter calls inexpressible joy and full of glory, where mm-hmm. we just are so captivated in our minds with, with the truth of who God is and what he's done that, you know, and, I, and I'm going to use another big word, this word aesthetic. There is an aesthetic dimension to our response to God in the gospel. What I mean by that is aesthetics has to do with the philosophy of beauty. Mm -hmm. What is beauty? What kind of response does it evoke in human beings? And uh, God has hardwired an aesthetic dimension into our souls. Mm -hmm. We have, all of us have, kind of an instinctive, intuitive sense for what is beauty and what what is ugliness. Um, And... And I think God is saying, I am the I am the consummate beautiful one, and I have made it possible for you through the gospel to see that and to just relish it and to be transformed by it and to be so captivated by it that when anything contrary to it, which is ugliness, comes along, you turn from it. Mm-hmm. You're not drawn to it. You, you are offended by it. Right. Um, this is what joy in God does for us. It, it changes us. It, it, it completely transforms um, what will attract us and what will repel us. What's, right. what's our problem today? We are attracted to ugliness. Mm-hmm. We're attracted to immorality. But when the, 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 the power of the gospel changes our, our, um, our understanding and our, and our vision for what is ju- ultimately beautiful, the things that we used to be drawn to we find just oh I just want to turn my eyes right, away yes. I, I can't behold it it's not beautiful to yeah, us anymore this is what joy does um, there's another statement that um, that John Piper made and I wrote it down because it always has touched me he said and this he's answering the question why is it so important I mean mm. honestly why are you all making such a big deal of this <laughs> right. you're devoting an entire podcast to it you're saying it's the ultimate reason why God created us why. Here's what John said. Joy is the clearest witness to the worth of what we enjoy. Mm. It is the deepest reverberation in the heart of man of the value of God's glory. So if, if, I, uh, if I watched your daily life, David, or you watched mine, and you took note of how we responded to various things. So, for example, if you were to come to lunch with me and we were to have a steak, medium rare, you know, mm-hmm. very tender, just very succulent and juicy. And and you would watch my facial reaction or you would listen to how I describe the sensation of, of chewing it and swallowing it. You would say, that must be some steak. Yeah, wow. The right. value. No wonder they charge so much for that right. piece of meat <laughs> yeah. because of the joy that mm. it awakens in you. 
And so what, what Piper is saying, and I think Edwards as well, what I want to say is that uh, joy is important because it bears witness to the value of what has evoked it and yes. stirred it. Right. Um, I like it. It's the deepest reverberation in the heart of man of the value of God's glory. So when I enjoy God and the things that he has given me for his sake, it points people to the value of God. They go, wow. Take, for example, um, I know I'm preaching here, but I can't help it. Um, (laughs) Take take the issue of suffering. Hmm. When, When a Christian suffers physically or financially or they're going through incredible trial and affliction, and yet there is joy in God in the midst of it and through it, such that that I, I I I don't suddenly take offense at God when I'm suffering hardship, but I press deeper into Him. People see that and they go, "Wow, what kind of God must it yeah. be that would evoke and sustain joy in Sam's heart, even when things in life aren't going his way and things are causing him physical pain or emotional distress." There's something about the value of his God that would sustain joy in his heart in spite of all mm-hmm. those things. Mm-hmm. That's what we mean by it's the deepest reverberation in our hearts of the value of God's glory, that his glory is worth my devotion and my love and my worship, even when the physical realm around me is, cre- is causing pain and distress and, and um, all sorts of negative re- reactions in my heart. Yeah, I, I can't help but I mean, you, our listeners are going to just, all our cards are going to be played. We just love food because I can't get this image out of my head. When you read the Jonathan Edwards quote, um, the picture I got was like, I love cooking. So I love food. I love cooking. Um, and um, and my favorite dish to make is called cacio e pepe, which is just Italian for cheese and pepper. <laughs> and oh, it's wow. a traditional Roman dish. They made it in Rome. And uh, Megan and I fell in love with it when we were over there. So I came back. I learned how to make homemade pasta, you know, beat the eggs together in the dough and like roll out my own dough, cut my own noodles. It's like a four hour process. I, I'll go and get uh, imported Italian uh, pecorino and parmigiana and like, and my favorite thing, hand ground pepper. And I love, like, anyone who's listening to this who's been to my house as a friend has probably sat down and had this meal with us because I've made it just tons and tons of times for my friends because I just love it. I, I love doing it. And just um, grill me a steak. Yeah, right. Just grill me a steak. Well, now, 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 to be honest, the best thing to do is to get another is to get a steak, chop it up, and put it on top of the oh, okay. pepper, which is amazing. <laughs> but uh, anyway, but I, I couldn't help but think like I go into all that labor. I don't mind. I don't care how much the ingredients cost. Like. I, I just love this dish and I love to share it with people. And But it's not until that moment. Yeah, they're watching it. Like, man, this is an intense process. And they look at it and they smell it. Man, that looks good and it smells good. But it's not until that moment where they put it in their mouth and their minds are blown and they quote Romans 11 to me and go, oh, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. And that's when my joy is complete, exactly. right? Like that's when I feel like yeah. you have experienced this, this for what it was meant. Mm-hmm. Like, and just that you know it exists isn't enough. Like you listening to me describe this dish over this podcast is not enough. I want you to taste it and I want you to react and revel in it. And I want you to sop up every last bite yep. and I want you to ask for it again because like I'm going to get more joy out of out of uh, how, how much you enjoy it. And so I just can't help but 
see God as this as the cook in the kitchen who's like, I've got great dishes for you, and but just you knowing they exist isn't enough. I want you to taste and see that the Lord is good. God is the consummate chef <laughs> of that which will bring deep delight to our palate and yeah. to our taste buds. Um, Didn't Edwards talk about honeycombs that way? Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, he compared the knowledge of God to the to tasting the sweetness of honey. Yeah, which he I said, love this metaphor. Ed- Edwards said. You know, you some people look at honey in a jar, right? And they think, uh, okay, it's kind of got a golden hue to it. And uh, some people will actually open up the jar and pour it out and feel it. And they say, you know, it's real sticky. Yeah, it's got kind of a you know. And then another person will say, hey, let's put it under the microscope and let's break down its component parts. Yeah. Ever said no? Taste, taste it. it. <laughs> taste it. And it's it's when you taste it that's comparable to the enjoyment of God. Yes. Um, let me just you know go a little farther in yeah. this direction on this point. Um, we're, we're talking about why joy is so important, why it's so central to um, the reality of Christian living, the purpose for which we were created, and um, I think one of the reasons is because joy is unlike any other human activity or experience it is it's impossible for there to be a such a thing as insincere joy mm. now you can fake having Happiness, joy yeah. but you can't have fake joy wow joy is pristine it's yeah. pure um and it in it engages the totality of our being so for example going back to the honey illustration or let, let's take um Going back to the uh, to your example, when you cook up this thing pasta. you call whatever it was it's called. called pasta, yeah, right, pasta, <laughs> and somebody can watch you do it. Mm-hmm. Somebody can read the 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 uh, ingredients that you've written down that go into it, um, but until they they don't really have joy in it until they put it to the use for which you have created it, namely Correct. they ingest it. Mm-hmm. So um, I can understand a lot of things and not take delight in them. Mm-hmm. So, for example, uh, I took a course in in high school. It was a part of a science course where we learned about machines Mm -hmm. and car engines. And I made an A in the class. But I open the hood of a car and I get physically nauseated. (laughs) I I understand some of the dynamics of what's going on there. And and I don't want anything to do with it. I don't don't like it. Um, It's possible for me to make a choice. So, for example, if you invited me over to your house and instead mm-hmm. of making pasta, you I served squash. squash. <laughs> and as a good guest, I, I, you know, gripped my teeth and smiled as I ingested that horrid, I don't even <laughs> want to call it food. It's a curse. And so I made a choice, but I didn't have any joy right. in, the, in the experience that it brought me. Same action. Yeah, same action. Yep. But... In, in when you experience genuine joy, you understand something. Mm. You make a, ch- a decision to em- engage in that, and it has this holistic uh, capacity to bring deep satisfaction and delight, such that you say, "I want more." Mm. And that's why joy in God is so much more important than merely having doctrinal precision in understanding who He is. If that doesn't awaken in you the Right. Romans eleven thirty three, or Peter says the joy inexpressible and full of glory. Mm. Then you haven't really experienced the joy that God created you to have. You know that I love that joy inexpressible. It, it's the kind, and again, 
the people, I, th- I think all of you listening are going to nod your head and say, I, underst- I, I think I, I understand what you're saying, Sam, even mm. though I can't put words to it. When you experience something and you are incapable of defining it, you just, uh, 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 yeah. and then you think you've got words and you go, no, that isn't, enough. no, I, I don't, it's inexpressible. It's right. ineffable. There are, there, you know, the dictionary and the thesaurus hasn't been created that has the words that are capable of articulating what I'm feeling right <laughs> yeah. now. It's inexpressible joy and filled with the glory of God. Mm. That's what God made us for. Why? Because that most glorifies him. Mm. God's glorified by our obedience. God's glorified by our worship. God's glorified by our generous giving of our, of our finances to others. But God is most glorified in us when the revelation of who he is awakens that, oh, yeah. that deep delight that carries us through persecution. Yeah. It carries us through suffering. It carries us through loss. Uh, that's why Paul, you know, in the famous Philippians 4 passage, um, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why? Because knowing him uh, enables me to experience highs and lows without being unduly exalted mm-hmm. or deflated. Yeah. I can't. I can't help but think. Um, I, I. We have to wrap up here. But I loved the. I loved what you said about joy is is something that's unable to be manufactured. It can't be fake. Right. Um. And and, and I love that that our world it, it has a high value in authenticity right now. Mm-hmm. And so, give me something authentic. I want to see. You, I want to see you struggle, and uh, I want to see the antihero, and I want to see even my even the good guys on my TV show do the bad things because that's the real authentic human existence. And we just, we have a heightened value on authenticity right now. And I, I think it's amazing that what would the ultimate Christian witness look like is Christians authentically experiencing the joy of God. Mm-hmm. And it's like just joy in every circumstance, uh, in every situation, through any struggle and any trial, you people just have something we don't like you're just experiencing you're walking around going oh everything's so good god's so good and there's nothing around happening that deserves that like what's going on i just can't i can't get away from this idea of of this authentic what does authentic christian faith look like it's living this one authentic uh emotion and 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 thing that can't be manufactured just being joyful which is maybe why paul commanded it (laughs) and 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 that's not to say that the authentic joy that we have that's inexpressible and filled with glory somehow rules out or insulates us against real pain. Right, or mourning. Yeah, because that's where the prosperity, health and wealth gospel goes astray. Yep. Um, I want to prosper in my joy in God. Mm -hmm. That's the true prosperity. But uh, some people have this idea that, well, if, if this kind of joy is the ultimate aim for which God created us, then God is going to give us the way in which or the means by which we can live above the normal struggles that other people face, that I'm not ever going to have to be sick and I'm not ever going to have to face uh, the reality of a a rebellious child, Mm -hmm. excuse me, and uh, or a throat that won't clear up. Um, So we're talking about, uh, we're not talking about the avoidance of reality. We're talking about the capacity to see reality in the light of the infinite and immeasurable greatness of who God is. Yeah. And to persevere through it in mm-hmm. light of that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I'm glad you added that note there. 
Well, um, again, I think I, I think we ended our. Uh, this has been joyful. This has been a joyful conversation. Yeah, I've experienced joy during yeah. this. Uh, I think we said this at the end of our our love conversation a while back that it just I think we could have kept talking and maybe we'll have to circle back to this at some point because mm. um, uh, it's it's obviously extremely important and something that uh, bears unpacking. So this has been great. This is the end of our uh, of our five week series on how the gospel shapes our core values here at Bridgeway. We hope it's been helpful to listen in on and um, we'll be starting a new series next week and we hope to see you guys there. Thank you for listening to the Bridgeway Podcast, where you will find a new conversation every Thursday. For more information about Bridgeway Church, we invite you to visit bridgewaychurch.com, or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at bridgewayokc, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash bridgewaychurchokc. If you have any questions that you would like us to address on the podcast, feel free to email us at podcast at bridgewaychurch.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving us a review on the podcast app as it helps other people like you find our program. So on behalf of all the pastors and staff here at Bridgeway Church, I'm David Bowden saying thanks for listening and we will see you next week.